If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today on Horse Chat, we're chatting again with Anna Twinney. Now, we're going to chat today about Anna's new book, Beyond the Barn, which is pretty exciting. So if you haven't heard about Anna before, go back, listen to a few chats. I think the first one she did was 445, and then she's um, come back again, 476. So go back, have a listen to what Anna's all about. Today we'll talk about her, her new book, which is Beyond the Barn. Now, are you there, Anna? Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, as always. And it is very exciting to be back for Beyond the Barn. And on the cover, we have my Spanish Mustang. He's an ambassador for Reach Out to Horses. And um, it's, a, it's a beautiful book cover because he's at liberty, basically. No saddle, no bridle. And it's the evolution of my horsemanship journey. Oh, that's great. Because of the information about the book on your website, it says the virtual treasure trove of horsemanship you know, going back and, um, yeah, your journey. So if you went back through your journey, how long has it taken you to get to where you are? You know, I guess every horsewoman would say it's a lifetime. But the truth is it's been incredible to look at childhood where you're free or many of us are free to sit on the pony bareback and go swimming and pull the sledges and do exactly everything that you dream to go through the woods and everything. So there's the beginning of it. Looking back, I would probably be concerned of where my horsemanship began, and yet I made my way through and had an incredible relationship. People want that relationship like they had as a child more often than not, and we tend to grow up and fall into different kinds of folds, as did I. I was in Germany where it was very strong and very willful from the teachers that would really expect you to simply listen and not ask questions, and ultimately it was about dominance-based. I left that to go to England and same thing there. No questions asked. It would be drilling you with information and not really a lot of the whys or the understanding behind what you're doing and certainly no language of the horse included. And it wasn't until I left the UK in 1998 to follow a dream of becoming a horse whisperer, I actually learned that there was more to it, way more to it. It wasn't just about an animal or a horse or domineering, but there were what aspects to take into account. So all in all, you're looking at a 40-year journey to date. Okay, so this is the evolution of horsemanship, would you say, from dominance into dialogue? It really is. And when we look back, in 1997 was the door opening of natural horsemanship. Some may say it has a bad reputation, be it called horse whispering or natural horsemanship. Do you think it's a bad reputation or do you think it's just that someone's tried to do natural horsemanship and done it wrong and therefore it's got a bad reputation? I, th I think a combination for the fact that if people mention certain clinicians' name, there's a lot of negative connotations attached. And also when you speak of the round pen, people think it's a place of fear, abuse, overuse and dominance. And so often it has been used inappropriately, or in fact, the pressure halters, rope halters, dually halters, been used incorrectly. So be it that they've imparted the information and it's been received wrongly, or people have misunderstood it. 
And then you've also got the other side of things where there's a belief that no pressure should be applied. It should only be positive reinforcement. So I know, having entered the field in the late 1990s, that it was dominance-based. It was about work versus rest, discomfort versus comfort. If the horse wasn't doing it the right way, you'd send them harder or back them up further or utilize more pressure. The round pen was about the pressure. The stronger the pressure, the stronger the result. And so ultimately it was, here's the answer that we're seeking. How we get there is up to the horse, but ultimately I'm going to get what I want. That is how I was trained in natural horsemanship. So for me, this evolution would be going from a dominant standpoint of I'm going to control your footfall, tell you where you can place your feet and where you can't. And we're looking at a dialogue now. And the dialogue means let's investigate who are you as a horse? What are you trying to say? What's your intention? How can I capture the whisper? What's your personality, your environment? And if you take all of that into account, you're looking at more of a dialogue. Ultimately, create a pause and you examine who you are, what your intention is, who the horse is, what their intention is, and you create the pause for them to not only learn, but you learn to listen, then you're getting that dialogue in. When you acknowledge the try, when you capture the whisper, when you thank them for what they're offering, when you can see them without a strong agenda, now we're moving from dominance into dialogue, but only then. If it's always our way and the highway, then it's dominance-based. Yep, yep. So you, you've talked about, you know, we we need to control the horse, okay, and we, we talk about control. And I suppose now it's developed more into a collaboration of the horse, and this is really what you're trying to to say, you know, can you talk a little bit more about going from control into collaboration? Absolutely. Let me start with the fact that I was at the Mountain Expo and I was one of the showcased clinicians. And I went to watch a peer work. And within that dialogue came if it's the horse's idea, it's usually the wrong idea. And not long after was we need to control every single footfall. Don't let them get away with that. And I thought, how interesting is this? My whole demonstration is going to be about learning to feel the horse. What are they trying to convey? Utilizing telepathy, talking to them in pictures, having an energetic connection, and totally different. And for me, it was, let's see what they want to say. Create the space for that. I believe that the collaboration and partnership goes from using a horse to partnering. And what does that even mean? It means that if all we do is drill information into a horse, then we're controlling them. But if we actually collaborate to look at what is their personality and how do they learn? What is it that they want from life? What is their physical need? Can they even do the movements that we're asking from them? Are they physically fit enough? Are we just chasing them around or asking? And so the collaboration for me would be to understand that this is an individual, a being with a heartbeat. This is an individual that we're not just pulling out of a pasture whenever we show up and we expect them to perform for us, even if we are paying the bills. But instead, the collaboration might be, when do we give them the rein to have a choice? Okay, so you're really talking about um, the, the horse then as an individual, because you had said, you know, as an individual. So... Rather than 
you know, I'm just sort of thinking from this cookie cutter approach, you do it this way, this is step one, step two, step three, step four, you're really talking about a more personalised program for each individual horse, aren't you? How, how does that affect the horse, going from the cookie cutter approach, step one, step two, step three, to an, a personalised program for that horse? Well, let me go two directions for you with that. One direction would be that that's what we do with humans. At a young age, we put them into school and we teach them not to move, to sit at the desk. And if somebody's got a learning difficulty or a personality aspect that doesn't help them or isn't conducive conducive to sitting still all the time, we reprimand, we label, and we put them in a different kind of school or class and environment. But we don't adapt. We expect them to conform. We do that everywhere, from every job to the military to the police force, everything. It's about controlling individuals. So we're used to that. We're used to creating followers, not leaders. And so if you think of it, that's how we're brought up. And that's really what it's like with the horsemanship. We're asking them to become either robots or compliant and not have a voice, not have a mind. All too often people will say, he's got a mind of his own. Well, whose mind do you want him to have? If you want to have an individual like a robot, then go and ride a bike or drive a motorbike, etc. But if you want a being in your life, you've got to take into account that they're going to have different emotions. So for me... I see a lot of cookie-cutter approaches on the market. And why is that? Because it's easier. That's why. It's easier from a sales and marketing standpoint. And it's also easier to say, tell your horse to do these seven steps and you'll be fine. But it's not okay for the horse. There's over 28 personalities of horses. They've all got different breeds, different ages, different environments, different history. And when we take that into account, they learn differently. So when we're teaching a fall versus a geriatric, that's different. When we're looking at dominance-based versus non-handling or orphan fall syndrome, very different. So instead of creating the robot where often the horses are set up for failure because they simply can't conform, some see rest as reward, they all see release as reward, but what about the motivational standpoint? Maybe they need to walk around, be with a mate, maybe they're calling to go home. So creating the cookie cutter approach is easy to state to somebody, all you have to do is these seven steps and everything will be hunky-dory. But the truth is that keeps, one, the horse in kindergarten, and two, creates a compliant horse. Three, they can get exceedingly bored with it. And four, you can create behavior issues. So it's far better to look at that approach to say, you as a person, what do you need? Are you a backyard owner? Are you a trail rider? Are you a hunter jumper? Are you long distance rider? Well, way too difficult, right? Because now we're dealing with individuals to say, is this a novice or a professional? And is the horse a novice or a professional? Is this a fast thinker or a latent learner? The instructor would need to know horses inside and out and back to front to be able to teach the people in a personalized program. Takes longer to create trainers longer to create instructors, and the wealth of knowledge required wouldn't be packageable. So the truth is we've created that, and I'm saying, hold on a minute. I want to read you as a person. I want to cater to your needs. And on top of that, I want to read your horse and cater to his needs so that we get the correct perception. And when we put a marriage together, that's when we get the partnership. And so hence the personalized program, harder for people to create, 
long-term, absolutely incredible because dreams come true. You know, just thinking about that whole cookie-cutter approach, I hear sometimes people who've got a little bit of experience talk and they say, I do this first and then I do this and then I do this. And I think, I just wonder how many horses you've actually trained or had a bit to do with that you're not giving them that individual attention. So I certainly can resonate with horses do need that individual attention and there's not a step one, step two, step three because horses, you can have a general idea, but um, yes, sometimes they have a block, a certain certain reason why they can't do a particular thing. But uh, I like the way that you have this personalised program. Now, I've got another question. This is to do with capturing the whisper. How would you describe that? You know, what is this capturing the whisper, if you're explaining? Can you please explain that a bit to the listeners? Absolutely. It's probably what my whole program is based on, honestly. And I feel like this next generation is going to find it very hard in the world, not just with the pandemic going on, that people aren't eye to eye or socializing. And in fact, we're missing the nuances of the facial expressions. Or indeed, maybe we're going to watch people's eyes more. I'm not sure. But that generation is also the generation that feels they know each other through texting and emails. But when it comes to socializing, they may be challenged or inept even. So for me, the whisperer for everybody is capturing the body language. And although body language gets thrown around, really the whisper goes back way farther than that. So if we are looking at a horse who's acting out, for example, so running away when you're trying to catch him or not standing still at the mountain block, that's not really the whisper. That really is them talking quite strongly. The whisper can be seen in the eye. Scientifically, it's a huge aspect of the horse's language. You're watching the intention. In the eye, you can see the window to the soul, but you can see what they're thinking. They're going to show you where the eye is looking is where they're going to go next. It's either alert, confused, upset, worried, angry, full of attention. There's so much that you can see in the eye. The grief, the sadness, the loss, the glaze. We could continue. Every emotion that we carry, they can too. So that whisper is in the eye. Equally as much, there's the other side to that. They watch our eyes. They need to see our eyes. Sunglasses isn't acceptable, really. And you can't see another person's eyes to know if they're lying or being honest or sad and sorrowful or happy without seeing eyes. So the horses also need to capture the whisper in our eye. What is it we want? And are we utilizing our eyes to say thank you and acknowledge their try by dropping the eyes, even influencing their feet, but giving them the reassurance they need through the eye contact? But it goes even deeper than that. The eyes are part of the whisper. So if you see them acting out, that's way beyond the whisper because it's all in the eye. And if we can see if they're looking right and correct their nose, we've caught the whisper. And if we can feel that they're going to explode, we've caught the whisper. So it's not all the eye. It can be the energetic connection to look at that and say, you know what, something's about to come. You might need to want to move their feet or bring them back to you. And then if we go further back, we're looking at the whisper with the thought. And the thought is that telepathic connection. 
they can pick up your whisper when you want a canter transition, when you want to slow down. They will answer it. I've got a horse at home, Aria is her name, and we were training her just a week ago to jump. And every time the person was thinking, I'll jump next, she bit the foot. And it wasn't until she changed her thought to go, you know what, if Aria, if you do that jump really well, we'll finish for the day. And Aria would offer the last jump. The whisper's no longer in the eye, no longer in the seat. The whisper is in the thought. So that for me is the huge piece here is to know that the whisper is in the thought. So that means conscious thought patterns and mindfulness when around horses. Wow, I think you've really, really talked about capturing the whisper there. I think that's something that we probably all aim to get to that stage. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm thinking as well, you know, you've got some quote cards and I I know that on your website, which by the way is reachoutthehorses.com, you've got an image there and it's a photo. And I don't know how it was done, if it was a photo and then you added to it or there was a flick of the tail, I'm not quite sure, but there's a horse there with wings. Now, I think it's a gorgeous photo, but first of all, tell us a little bit about how you did that. But I'm also wondering, you know, if you've got a favourite image that you say, wow, I love this image, it's absolutely my favourite, you know, probably a bit more emotional than me flicking through some images because you've actually taken them and done them. But can you tell us about how you actually did this image and then tell us about your favourite image? Absolutely. So I think the image that you're referencing would be one of the folds, actually, which is so fascinating because I brought the folds into the book as well. And and the book really is about the evolution of my horsemanship journey going from what I perceive to be the dominance based into this dialogue. But it's also the journey from body language into telepathy and the journey from getting actually from the harder approach to a softer approach, from watching body language to listening and capturing the whisper. And so the image we designed there was to give a voice to the Premarins. And Premarin is pregnant mare's urine. And it's all about the Premarin industry, which is hormone replacement therapy for women. And so Aria, funnily enough, the one I was speaking to, and she's also the poster child for our chakra banner poster. She's a Premarin and she's a byproduct of the industry. She was a baby and she came to us at three months of age when I first met her when we jinkled her down. So every image is is very, very important because it helps bring out the secrecy of the pharmaceutical companies or the nurse foals or the tribal foals, etc. And these are angels. These are angels on earth, and the horses are here to help us spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, and everybody, and I don't think they can deny it, will know that horses bring great support and relief and happiness and joy and balance and stability and freedom. And we could go on with the positive words and experiences that we have with every single horse ultimately they help us grow or they help us learn boundaries and even when we struggle on times they are our teachers and in the book it's chapter 21 and I've always um, loved photography and I've told my students if I wasn't teaching natural horsemanship I'd probably be a photographer the majority of the images in the book where we've called the quote card I've created not all not this one but a lot of them 
And this quote card says, I am far from what I once was, but I am nowhere near who I am going to be. And it's a beautiful image of a foal. It's actually called Eclipse. And he was a tribal foal. He'd come to us for wild horse gentling. And I offer that clinic annually where we have wild foals. And in this case, Eclipse came from a Native American reservation. And there, it's, it's a little bit of a closed conversation. But a lot of the foals go into a rodeo, a wild horse rodeo on the resi. And that means that they are roped and ridden at the age, tender age of five or six months. So by the time they come to us, they're traumatized. And so little Eclipse had settled in and we gentle them first touch, first halter, first feeding, first grooming, first picking up feet. And it's exactly that quote. He is far from what he once was, but his life is ahead of him. And that's the glory. I've written there all about how we've supported the rescue horses in every capacity in order to give them not just a second chance, but to find out what motivates them and to showcase them to their true and highest potential. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Okay, it's lovely. I, I still, I'm, I'm not sure if I missed it though, the photo with, of the horse with wings. Is it an actual photo or was there some artwork added with the wings? I mean, how... It's artwork. It's a true photo. Yes, with and the artwork. Then it's artwork added in. Yeah, it's it's just lovely. Yeah, just going back to these the mustangs. You know, you obviously do some work with the rescue horses, so you've worked with the mustangs. What other sort of um and and what is a rescue horse? You know, I mean, to me, what is a rescue horse? Like everyone's got their own definition of a rescue horse. It's obviously a horse that's in need of something. But what's a rescue horse and what sort of, you know, if someone says I've got a rescue, what do you define as a rescue horse? But what sort of rescue horses have you worked with as well? Yeah, I made my mission on it. And when I was at Flaggers Up Farm at Monty's, it seems like a lifetime ago. It was 1997 that I went out there. And when I became one of the members to create the class in the school, it became apparent that the horses in the school wouldn't want to do this. This is the thing, right? We didn't create a cookie cutter approach and the horses didn't want to be in there for novices. And I thought, how can we make this a win-win that the students get what they need and the horses do too? And I created a program where we teamed with rescues from Premarins to therapeutic riding school to Mustang Rescue, everything to bring in the horses 
therefore give the horses a second chance and train them and support them and introduce them some all kinds of gentleness so that they could find their forever homes and the students would have new horses. It grew from there. So when I created my own business around 2003, Reach Out to Horses, then had a different name, but was born. I went into business with an idea I'd team up with therapeutic riding barns and nonprofits and all kinds of aspects to give back to the horses. It was a huge deal for me to fight for the underdog and give a voice to the voiceless. So over the years, we're looking at over 20 years now, I've teamed up with Premarin Rescues, that's the pregnant mare's urine, hormone replacement therapy for women, when there is an alternative, a natural alternative to support them. And in those days, we had 50,000 Premarin mares in the United States before it was moved to Canada, and now they're looking to China. So all of their babies were byproducts of the industry and destined for slaughter. And where I could, I'd give them a voice. That's where the DVD was born, for successful calls in training, because we exposed the Premarin industry there, and it would get out into the world. It's not the only area I support. I'm a big voice for the Mustangs, created a DVD there too, and managed to get it out to a ton of rescues, because the Mustang plight here, with less than 30,000 now out on the range, and more in captivity, and they're seeking, in my opinion, to actually drive them into extinction. So the Mustangs, in your case, the Brumbies, and all over the world, we've got a degree of wild horses that have a plight that need a voice. I could go on. We have feedlot foals here where they are destined to go to a feedlot to ultimately go for human consumption, be that Canada or Mexico. In Europe, it would be Poland. And foals end up there pregnant mares end up there and it's always been my hope that somebody would listen to a podcast or a radio show and create some legislation around it to prevent pregnant mares and foals being in feedlots but we've rescued many brought them out as orphan foals given them a voice the more we can give the horses a voice and i've touched upon the tribal foals which is a whole uh, private deal as well with them going to the rodeos albeit that it's rescues from riding schools or rescues from backyard owners, rescues from rescues, right? 80,000, 90,000 horses go to slaughter every year. Either they've been overused, abused, misused in, in a performance world, treated as a commodity, discarded, or they've got behavioral issues or pain. All of them end up being rescues. All of them need an interpreter. And so for those 22 years, that's what I've been. I've been an interpreter for the horses, and I introduced my students to rescue horses, and many have designed, created their own rescues, gone on to help the therapeutic riding world, gone on to bring back motivation in horses, bring back that beautiful eye, educate on pain, educate on equipment, on nutrition and natural lifestyles. And these have been big, big things for me so that people don't just throw away the horses but understand that anytime they're acting out, there is a reason and we can get to the bottom of it. I know that you've shared a little bit about the stories, you know, about the rescues that you have. But is there, like, do you have a case study, a story that you think, this is is the story that I'd like to share about um, one of my rescues? I'd love to. 
there's so many and I could pick from my herd at home. I love the case studies. That's why, I, you know, I sort of bring them in and say, well, don't just tell us about it, but tell us some actual stories about horses. Yeah. Yeah, it's um I've got I've got two, but let me start if I've got time I can bring them both, but let me start with Sage. Sage was 4 days old when I met her and she's at home. She's our horse and Sage was tiny. She came to one of our our little full gentling horses. She was the smallest of them all, and yet she muscled her way through to eat the hay and was incredible. Because it, she was only four days of age, we looked for a surrogate mare for her, and we found one at a local rescue. She ended up leaving the course on day six. It's a seven-day course, and she went to the rescue with a view that that mare had just had her baby weaned and maybe she would take Sage on. I ended up teaching at that rescue just a few days later, one of my holistic horse courses, and I saw Sage there. She had marks all over her, and the surrogate mare had um, declined. She'd rejected her. But worse than that, she would pick her up and throw her occasionally. And so she had these bite marks. And the rescue was trying really hard. They'd halter her so that Sage could get the mare's milk. And they thought one day maybe she'll take her on. But she didn't. In the two weeks that I was there, Sage would stand by that fence. I remember connecting with her and thought, maybe I can bring her home. And the day I was approached by the host there, she said, Sage isn't being accepted. And I finished the sentence and I said, I know, I'll take her home tomorrow. I brought in my trailer. And people can actually look at this on YouTube. You'll see little Sage, so it doesn't become a, just a story. You'll see her. She comes out of the paddock at that point in time. She's four weeks old. She looks around. She whinnies goodbye, and she steps into our two-horse, and she comes home. She comes home, and she's greeted by Sabre, who was on the same course. She's never looked back. It's that little pumpkin who um, had lost a mother has been a warrior princess just this year. I always waited. I thought the greatest gift I could give her would be in, to be in a herd so that she'd learn her language. She'd learn the elements and how to place her feet. So we never overhandled her. And she's incredible. And so with that, just this year, unfortunately, the herd got out. It was in springtime, April, May. And the herd got out, led by one of my Mustangs. And they were in the neighborhood. My intuition led them, led me right to them. It was incredible to see and we drove we found them I just said Vin get in the car and we drove there when we got out they were all together huddled together it was in the dark 10 11 at night and from that we stepped out the car and the Mustang took them away and when I when I went over to them um they ran they ran and they were led by the horse and it was dark and she ran into a fence. She couldn't quite make the corner. And I heard the bang and I yelled. It was a knee-jerk reaction. And I yelled out. And when we put the light on her, her whole front leg was open. She'd been sliced by this straight, it was smooth wire, not coated, not barbed, just sliced her like a knife. She walked a mile home and we got the vet out. Um, who said this is emergency of course surgery and it's COVID and we drove her in and I had to hand her over. She loaded up, she unloaded, she walked into that veterinary 
surgery like a brave soldier. She wasn't limping, she was not lame. She was then five. I'd stalled with the cult starting because I wanted her to have a, a maturity about her and grow up. And here it was, devastation. Didn't know what it would mean. We were sitting outside for hours waiting because we couldn't go in. They came out and they said she was going to be okay. Brought her home. We treated her two, three hours a day with the Beamer blanket, so healing blanket, energy healing, oils, organic supplements with dynamite, you name it. We did it all. We did exactly what the vet said. The vet came out every three days, rebandaged. We had antibiotics, and they said after five weeks, she could go in the run, not be in the stall. We put her in the run for three hours, and she managed to rip the whole thing open again. I was devastated. We started from scratch. Started from scratch, and not just that, she ripped the second leg open. God knows how she did it. And this time, we were treating four legs. And we were going to move. And we were moving to North Carolina, 2,000 miles across country. And Sage is getting mad about being in, and she doesn't want to be in, and we're communicating with her. And we keep her in another six weeks. She's been three months in a damn stall, and she hates every minute of it. And we've done everything. She travels across country, 2,000 miles, in her own free stall on the trailer. She gets out. We put her out with her Mustang. She's in the paddock. And she's fully here. That is the story. And people can follow her on social media. And she's fully healed. And I let her be out in the paddock for two months to build the muscle up again. And we're starting her under saddle now. And it's been a little delayed. And she wants to be the ambassador for Reach Out to Horses. She wants to be under saddle. She wants to do things. And she's had two false starts out of those starting gates by being the orphan and then having a leg ripped off and she is one warrior princess and she's going to teach the world when you get knocked down again get back up again that's her message it's incredible and just going back you know because we talked about capturing the whisper you know and to yeah. have the feeling is what everyone wants you know um, but but I'm just thinking, you know, going back, being very practical and thinking about training horses. You know, training horses, they yeah. learn yeah. they learn through various means. You know, you can right. give them something to eat, you know, give them a scratch, release the pressure. So if you're training horses, is that the way that you're training, the same way as as, you know, giving those standard rules. Like we want the horse to be comfortable. The horse wants to be comfortable. If we want the horse to do something, we break it down. We do it in steps. Um, but, you know, I'm yes. just thinking, and I know you come from a bit of an alternative way of training and way of doing things. So can I just get your views on how can we, th you know, if you're, if you're training your horse and you want to thank them and let them know they've done the right thing, how can we do that? You know, it Yes, I do everything. So for me, the structural thank yous may be the release of pressure. So that could be that we're asking for the head drop or asking the, the head left and right. Put the leg off, take it off, close your fingers, release. But there's so much more. When we're looking at liberty, for example, 
and we're asking for forward motion for fitness training or dancing with horses, even behavior modification activity, can, if we're utilizing our eyes on eyes, we drop the eyes and then we put them immediately back on. And that is the horse's language to drop the eyes and put There's so much more. You can really smile for a moment to jubilate and celebrate their tries and be on the same team with them to go, that was really cool. So a smile, a moment of a deep breath, slowing down of your feet, getting softer in your body, even thanking them in your mind, dropping your eyes, lowering your hand, anything where there's a visual response and a thought will give them the thank you. It's a big deal to look at all the thank yous because a thank you could be, I take you back to the stall because that's where you want to be. Or we go and hand graze for a little bit. Maybe you want to experience the freedom. Thank yous in the moment in the training are huge in general. When we're riding, the thank you could be that we slow down or stop. The thank you could be to look at that sunset or to take in the flowers. The thank you can be riding on the buckle or giving them the voice and the choice, even knowing what motivates them, knowing where they want to go. These are huge thank yous. And it comes back really from going from the control into the dialogue and realizing that they are so smart that, yes, you can take that rein back and say, no, we've got to go this way. Or you can indeed give them a choice to create their own mapping system back home. And when you look at Sage, you know, when I was talking about that, there's so many other thank yous to say, you know what, you can join the herd for a moment or go and share breath with the herd, have a little bit of mutual grooming with the herd. Maybe the thank you can be a healing session of essential oils, Reiki energy healing. Indeed, we have the Beamer. So there's so many ways to put the healing blanket on or the crystals, something that you're recognizing who they are. And that means where the traditional way might come back to rest and a release is the only thing a horse can understand as a thank you. Well, if you put that up against what I've just told you, you've probably got 30 more ways to say thank you to your horse that is not recognized necessarily in the industry. And so it's harder to teach that, to go, well, what motivates your horse? Let him have this for a moment or go out there. And I always tell my students, you know, once you finish the session, maybe you want to take them home. Maybe they want to hand graze, maybe groom them, scratch them in a favorite place, go on a little walk with them. What is it your horse wants? What motivates your horse? Because that is what the thank you is. It's not what we think it is. And it's not what we project. There's only one thank you or two or 10 or 30 that they see as a thank you that's really, really important to them. Okay. I think that's certainly something, you know, to just spend time and um, see what we can develop through that. Yeah. How did you discover integrating energy and telepathy? You know, how does that work for beginners? Like, like some of the things that you've said are very, very subtle, but how does it work for beginners through to professionals? I guess that it starts with people being open. Let's go back to the very beginning is 
if you're open to recognizing that they speak this silent language, then you will start to see. If you're not open, it will never see. So that's the beginning. And then you're looking at the fact that conscious thought. Do you know what you are thinking and how it impacts your horse? If you are fully aware that you were just stating, I'm going to come to get you, I'd love to go riding tonight, and you you turn up and they're pinning their ears and avoiding you, maybe it's not the right time, or they're already at the gate and you wonder, why on earth are they there? So that conscious thought of, of having it and even projecting it is the next way to go. It's really neat to start following what happens And the recognition might be, I knew I was thinking about going into a trot here and they've already done it. Or I was thinking of finishing the lesson and they come back to the center of the arena and stand still. Wow, how did they know that? Because we just told them. So integrating telepathy in is a big piece of having the conscious thought and pre, pre, not predicting, um, putting it in pre body language so being a step ahead with your thought and then the body language and then you'll see that it's not all body language and it's really neat too um, we just videoed another one the other day i've got two i think two or three on our youtube channel on reach out his horses youtube tra- channel of blind horses and here's a big one for you because you'll see me with a one-eyed horse you'll see me with a blind horse and they, the one-eyed horse is doing a round pen session and listening to body language with the eye missing. How is that even possible? You know, how is that possible? Well, they're feeling the energetic connection. They're feeling the intention. They're potentially capturing the whisper and the thought, responding, going up and down in speed and keeping the ear on and keeping the correct posture through body language and intention. So I love doing stuff like that to show people that this isn't woo-woo, this isn't fuzzy, this isn't that new agey or alternative, but in fact it is the depth of the horse's language. And this is the real deal, the real deal of recognizing that a thought came into your head and you go and check on your horse. A thought came into your head and then that horse said he was turning around and going home. You know, so these thoughts will appear and people often, when they don't capture that whisper, will think it's random instead of realizing the horses are talking. Are you listening? Mm-hmm. Anna, I've got to say thanks for coming on. You've certainly given us a lot to think of and uh, lots to go out and, and just spend time with their horse and, you know, um, experiment. But if someone wants to work with you, actually, before we go, if you were going to impart just one piece of wisdom, you know, to our listeners, what would that be? I would say, seek to be your true self. Look for that authenticity. Be aligned. So your true self really means to be authentic, be aligned, have a body, mind, spirit connection. Be honest, right? Be honest. Who am I? Why am I here? Am I thinking the same thing I'm portraying? Am I in my body? Am I truly present? That is all about being authentic truly authentic being honest that would be my piece of wisdom perfect all right now and if people like to get in contact with you what's the best way you've got a a website reach out to horses.com you've also got a youtube channel if they want to contact you directly can they do it through the website absolutely there's a query place contact us place it is info info at reach out to horses.com 
follow us on Facebook, on YouTube. We have over 25,000 subscribers and millions of views. So lots of information there. And also we've got DVDs and books. We've got a special on. The special is if you buy two of our books, you get one free. And one is Beyond the Barn 1. This is what we've talked about today. And I've just released Beyond the Barn 2. So if I get invited back, I would back love Beyond you the to Barn 2. Yep, yep. It's fun, you know. And um, basically, if they order Beyond the Barn 1 and 2, they get Escaping Tradition for free. So they can find that on the website as well. Perfect. And now, looking forward to um, catching up with you again for Beyond the Barn 2. I think this has been, it's been interesting. It's been, you know, giving, giving people something a little bit more to think about and to go out and uh, to actually watch their horse and, you know, think a bit more about dialogue and collaboration. So I've got to say thank you for coming on and uh, look forward to catching up again. I really appreciate it. I really love what you're doing. Thank and you. And imparting the wisdom, having all these guests. Uh, yeah, I appreciate being one of them. <laughs> All right. Look, it's been great. You know, I mean, I love we, we sort of have horse chats as an extension to International Horse College. And, you know, we're all about educating. We're all about looking at uh, horse welfare and safety around horses. And that's probably the two main things we work on, both with International Horse College and with horse chats. And you've been a great compliment to that. So thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses, or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.